Bibles this morning, and let's look at Luke chapter 1. Last week we looked at the beginning of Zacharias' praise, and in looking at that, we saw that of that he did not praise his son. He praised the God who gave him this son. We see prophecy was performed by everything that took place there on this day. I was reading something the other day about this portion of Scripture, and basically Jesus upstaged John at his own birth, his birthday, giving of his name, if you would, uh, that Jesus upstaged John. But John wasn't about upstaging Jesus. He was the forerunner. And so we're going to look at that. We Last week we looked at that of prophecy performed. This week we're going to look at that of the prophet prepared. The prophet prepared. In verse 76, let's begin reading there. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before his the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for you and what you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die on the cross for us who would pay the ultimate price for our sin debt. And they paid it full and in full for us, that we might not have to do anything but receive and believe what you did for us on the cross, Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that your son did not stay dead, but rose again the third day as he said he would. I thank you, Lord, for the scriptures and what they mean, and what they mean to us and what they tell us about you and how we can grow in our relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that many here this morning would just, all of us this morning would, grow in our relationship with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In verse 76, we see that John, uh, Zacharias, I mean, begins to talk and begins to now talk about his son. He says, And thou child, referring to his son, thou shalt be called the prophet of the highest. Still, we find here that he's still praising God. And he's saying, you're not going to be your own prophet. You're not going to be doing your own thing. We have a lot of preachers out there that are lone rangers, and they're doing their own thing, and it just seems what in the world is going on. But John was not going to be that kind of a prophet. He was going to be the prophet of the highest. That means that he had authority over him. He just wasn't going to be doing his own thing, out there prophesying whatever he wanted to preach on. God was going to be the authority in his life and was going to tell him what he was going to preach. And it was a specific message that he was going to preach. Notice the Bible says, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. That's the specific message that John was given to preach. You're going to go forward and you're going to prepare the way for the Lord. You're not going to prepare your own way. You're not going to make yourself a name. You're not going to be, that's not the purpose of John coming to earth. The purpose of John being here on this earth was to prepare the way for the Lord to come. So that when Jesus did come, John would say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John was not pointing to himself at all in any of his earthly ministry when you read about it. He was always pointing to Christ. He was always directing people to Christ. 
He never directed individuals to his own philosophy or his own way of thinking. And Zacharias is very specific here, and God makes it a point for us to know that each one of us need authority in our life. That none of us here this morning are our own lone rangers. We just don't get to do whatever we want to do. God has designated us and set us aside, set us apart, sanctified us for a specific purpose. You know what our purpose is? To do exactly this. We are preparing the way for the Lord to come again for others. That's what we're doing. As much as he was the forerunner of Christ and preparing the way for the Lord, that when he came, people would be directed to him. We are in the same boat that we are preparing the way for the Lord's return the second time. We're telling others about his return. We're telling others about who he is, what he's done in our life, because he is coming again. And we are basically the ones that are telling the world that he is coming again. How well are we doing? Are we failing? Hey, we probably all are. In some point or another, we are all failing miserably. And it's not that we purposely fail. It's just that we fail. We're human. That's what we do. We fail. But aren't you thankful that we have a merciful God? That in spite of our failings, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our faults, he says, I still chose you to do this. I still chose you. So get about your father's business. And that's what we need to be doing, being about the father's business. As we continue, he says he's going to be the prophet of the highest. What a, what a title to be given. The prophet of the highest. And it's a capital H. Designating that it's not just going to be the highest office in the kingdom, or the highest king in the kingdom, or the highest whatever. It is of the highest capital H. You can't get any better than that. <laughs> you cannot rise above that. That's a that's a very distinct title that he has given here. The prophet of the highest. Every single one of us here this morning are considered messengers, ambassadors for Christ. Every one of us. That's a high honor. When you really think about it, what is an ambassador to do? An ambassador represents the country that he is citizen of and in a foreign land. That's who he's a representative of. We are ambassadors for Christ. Do you know what that tells us? That we are representatives of our eternal home in heaven. We are representatives of that faraway land. We're strangers here according to the word of God. The Bible says we're sojourners. Is it cold in here? Yes. <laughs> I turned it only to 67. I'll turn it up. Okay. I just started sweating really bad, and I just needed to turn it down just a, just a little. I maybe turned it down too much. But we're ambassadors for Christ. I am not my own ambassador. I have nothing to represent. The only person I'm here to represent is Christ and Him crucified. That's who I represent. That's it. He's resurrected. He's Lord. That's who I represent. And I represent my home. My citizenship is not here in America. My citizenship is in heaven. 
each one of us are, that are saved here this morning, our citizenship is in heaven. That is the land we represent here on this earth. That's hard for us to grab a hold of and think about because we're so used to living here. We are. We're so used to living here. We say that our citizenship, oh, you know, we're citizens of America. Yes, we are. But those of us that are saved, this is not our eternal home. Because America, South America, Asia, Africa, Antarctica, Australia are all going to disappear. They are all temporal lands and nations. But there will be one that will be set up, one that will be created, that will be forevermore, a new heaven and a new earth. That is where our eternity lies. That is where our citizenship is at. And we should be looking forward to that, that we're just sojourners, we're just strangers, pilgrims in a weary land. That's all we are. Prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go forth, go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. How much preparing are we doing? How much, if, if not anything, how much are we preparing our families for eternity? Let's not, yes, we're supposed to think about others, but if we're not preparing our families for eternity, what makes us think that we could prepare others for it? Hey, I'm not. I I am going to be honest with you. I sometimes fail at even that. And we need to work with the Lord's help to prepare our own families first for the coming of the Lord, for His ways, to prepare them to walk in His paths. A prophet of the highest. In verse 76, we see also that He's preparing the way for the Lord. Look at verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. They're to give not, he's to give knowledge of salvation. Not only is he going to prepare the way for the Lord, but now he's going to give knowledge of salvation. He's going to tell them how they can go to heaven. See, he just doesn't get to preach whatever he wants to preach. He has to preach what the Lord says for him to preach. And so he's going to give knowledge of salvation to those that want to know how they can go to heaven, basically, is what it comes down to. We should have that knowledge ourselves of how we can tell others how to be saved. You say, well, how many of you know Romans 6, 23? You know, how many of you know Romans, you know, the 3, 23, Romans 6, 26, and all the different things that we call the Romans road? Do we even know those scripture verses by heart? How many other verses do we know that would help us to show others the way of salvation? And when we get right down to it, we may say, well, I know this many, but I don't know enough. You can never know enough scripture. You can never memorize enough. You can keep memorizing and memorizing. I know I've talked with preachers. I've been in churches where a guest speaker has gotten up and he is quoted. He never once flipped in his Bible. He went to the main text, but every verse after that, he quoted by memory, and it was spot on. And I'm sitting there going, wow, how can they do that? 
because they've taken the time to. They've wanted to memorize Scripture. Knowledge of salvation. In John 1, 7, the Bible says, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Talking about John, that he was to be a bear witness of that light, capital L. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John the Baptist was not the light himself. He knew that. He was, he was the bearer of that light to show others to Christ and show them how they can have their sins forgiven. Notice it says, For by the remission of their sins, sins being remitted, taken out, redone, taken away, put away, remitted, that's what it means, to blot out, to take away. Have our sins been remitted? Have they been wiped clean? By the blood of the Lamb? That's what we're saying, are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Our sins have been remitted at the moment of salvation. No sin lingers. No sin, at the moment of salvation, no sin is there that remains that has not been forgiven. All of our sins have been forgiven. We just sang victory in Jesus this morning during Sunday school. And I repented of my sins and won the victory. When he saves us, he saves us completely. When he takes away our sins, he casts them as far as the east is from the west, throws them into the depths of the sea to be remembered by God no more. He doesn't remember our transgressions. He doesn't remember our iniquities. He doesn't remember our past he wipes it clean. He says, I'm, this is brand new life. You get a fresh start in me. Don't go back there. Talking this morning, you know, before we were having, after our prayer time, you know, God has forgiven us all of our past. He doesn't remember. And you know what? I'm thankful that he doesn't sit there going and bring it up. When I'm in prayer with him, or when I'm talking to him and communing with him, that he doesn't come and say, hey, you remember that day in 19-whatever when you did this? God isn't like that. But man, humans sure are. They always want to be around. They always want to say, hey, you remember when? I don't want to remember when. God does... You know what? You know what God does? The only thing that He comes and says, "Remember when? Remember when I saved you out of that? Remember when I blessed you with that? Remember when I poured my grace out on you on that day? Remember when I loaded you with that benefit? You remember when I answered that prayer? You remember my faithfulness to you during that time?" He doesn't say, "Remember when you sinned against me?" He doesn't do that. That's not the God we serve. That's not the kind of God I would want to serve that would constantly be bringing up my sins before me. If anything, I want my sins to be brought up by the Holy Spirit to convict me to repentance. And that's the only time I want them to be brought up if they haven't been confessed to God. I'd want them brought up before me. Because that's what David did. My sins are ever before me, he says. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. That should be our, pray, our prayer to the Lord. And he will do exactly that. He's not going to hold it against us. 
if the sins are remitted, they're remitted. They're never going to be brought up again. Now you say, am I still going to sin? Sure. You're going to sin in the flesh. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to sin. I mean, there's no, we're not perfect. Don't you wish we were, but we're not yet. Sin is ever going to be in our flesh. It's always going to be there. It's always going to cause us to do things. You know, some some acts of sin that we commit, we don't even realize we do it. And then when we do it, the Holy Spirit's like, eh, you're, mm, and you need to confess it. Sometimes it's only the simple act of getting angry at something that you ought not to get angry at. Sometimes it's it's saying something that, you know what, that was kind of off-colored. You know, you need to just say, Lord, I'm sorry I said that. I apologize. I confess that to you now. I should not have said that. Sins remitted. Are you giving the light of the gospel as John was being prepared to do? That's what he was going to do. He was going to bring the light of the gospel to a world that needeth the light. The Bible says over in John 3 that it says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Hmm. And men love darkness rather than light. Yet the light still came. And the light was still there for them to go to. It was not extinguished. It was not put out. You know what? They really thought they put it out when they put him on the cross. But if if I could say this, it shone brighter that day. Because that was the purpose of the light coming. It shone even brighter on that third day when the grave was opened and there was no one there. It shone even brighter. And can I say this? It shines even brighter today. Because he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, and and telling us to go forth and be light bearers. As we continue, verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God. Huh. Zacharias even here recognizes God's mercy. Through the tender. You know, he doesn't say mercy. He gives it an adjective. Tender mercy. Tender mercy. It's just adding to the kind of mercy that he gives. Tender mercy. It means there's some compassion behind the mercy that he gives. It's not just, I'm going to show you mercy. You know, some judges, when they show mercy to somebody for someone that Definitely deserves what they're going to get, but they show mercy. It's not out of compassion. It's simply because there's just not enough evidence, so they show mercy. Instead of giving them this long of a sentence, they show mercy by giving them a lesser sentence. That's not really compassion. That's just facts of the law, if you would. This is the evidence that's been presented. I'm going to show mercy, but with God, it is compassionate mercy. It's compassionate mercy. Tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Oh, Zacharias is, is still praising God. He's saying the day spring has already visited us. Even though Jesus hasn't been born, he is in the womb and he has visited. He's there waiting. How excited 
are we that Jesus Christ has visited us? You know, what if he came and knocked on your apartment or house door and said, can I come in? I'd like to visit with you for a while. Uh, Let me clean my house up first. No time. I'm visiting right now. No other time will come. It's right now. Will you let him in? Too many times that's what religions teach today. Clean up first and then let Jesus in. That's not how it works. Let him in and he'll do the cleaning. Let him do the cleaning. Wouldn't that be great? Came in, looked at your house, goes, oh, it is, it is, it's a mess. It, it looks like a tornado came through. Be clean. And it's clean. Everything is organized and in order and in place and all that, and it's sparkly, white, clean. That's what he does with our lives. It doesn't even resemble the former apartment that it once was. But neither should our lives once he saves us. It will not resemble what the past was. Somebody said this morning, even in our, still bear the consequences of our sin. Sure, they're still going to be there. There's nothing you can do about it. God is not some fairy godmother that once he saves us, he takes away all the scars and all the things that we did in our past life. And he doesn't do that. There's still reminders to us. So he doesn't have to remind us, but he it, they're there as reminders of God's grace that he's bestowed upon us. That is grace is sufficient for us throughout every single day. And we just look and we're looking at that. You know, the reason why I have this hole in my hand is because I, I broke a beer bottle over somebody's head when I was at a bar fighting. You know, that scar is going to be there. God's not going to magically just take it away. It's going to be there as a reminder like, thank God for grace. You have a you have a big gash in your leg, a big scar down the side of your leg because of an accident got in because you were hanging out with people that you shouldn't have been hanging out with and they were drunk and got into a car accident. That reminder is still there to say, hey, you could have died. By God's grace, you didn't. Those marks are still there. Consequences of our past lives are still going to hang around. They're still going to be there. Not for God to remind us, but for us to be reminded ourselves of how gracious and tender and the tender mercy of God that he has shown us. We have a wonderful God. A wonderful God that does those things for us. In verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness. He didn't come for people to continually sit in darkness. I think of the maniac of Gadara who came out from the tombs and he how long had he been in darkness until he ran up to 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 go before Jesus and legion that was in him cried out saying are you coming to torment us don't cast us over there cast us into the swine and Jesus did exactly that he cast all those demons those devils into the swine and they went off the side of the cliff But the Bible says that that man was in his right mind and clothed. And he wanted to stay with Jesus. He did. He didn't want to leave. It says he came to give light to them that sat in darkness. He was now in the light. 
He didn't want to stay in the tombs any longer. It was a dark, foreboding, lonely place. I was listening to an audio book this morning, and the statement was made this, God did not create man to be alone. He didn't. The whole of mankind, he did not create to be alone. He created them for a man to have a wife, so they, so he wouldn't, the man would not be alone. But also, he created man so that he wouldn't be alone spiritually, and that they could have mankind could have a relationship with the Father, one on one, so they would not be alone. To give light to them that's all that sit in darkness. You know that maniac. You know he wanted to stay with Jesus, and Jesus says no. Go and tell the others what great things God has done for you. What did he do? He went to Decapolis and told everybody what Jesus had done for him that day. He was no longer in darkness. He was in the light. And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He, Jesus Christ came to guide our way into peace. The peace that we have with God and the peace of God. He gave us that kind of peace so that we would be able to live peaceably among all men. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all be at each other's throats, wringing each other's necks, saying, Oh, why did you have to go and say that? Or, don't you agree with me? Why don't you agree with me? You know, we'd have all this anger and hate. You know, Jesus Christ was, if he loved everybody, when you get right down to his ministry, he had compassion on every single individual, no matter creed, race, culture, lifestyle, whatever it was, he loved them and had compassion on them. If he didn't, he wouldn't have gone to the cross for them. He went to the rich. He went to the elite. He went to the poor and needy. He went to every single one. Leaving none out. And both sides received and both sides rejected. Yep. He loved everyone. If he didn't, he wouldn't have touched the leper. If he didn't love everyone, he wouldn't have said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He wouldn't have let Mary wash his feet. He wouldn't have let this individual do this. He wouldn't have done this for this individual. He had compassion on everyone. And he wants us to have the same. We do not get to pick and choose, if you would, who we tell the gospel to. As much as we do pick and choose. Don't you? Don't you pick and choose? Within our flesh, we sometimes come to a place of deeming that person person not worthy. Well, neither are you. You're not worthy of the grace of God. You did nothing to deserve it. So that person that is a drunkard, that person that's caught in adultery, that person that lives a different lifestyle that goes contrary to God's word, still deserve 
L-O-V-E. Compassion. Love. They still deserve it. And you know what? They actually need it. They need real love shown to them. Compassionate, God-given love. As much as our flesh is like, no. Don't show them love. We put up this and we like, we do all those different things. But the Lord Jesus Christ never turned anyone away. You think about the Syrophoenician woman. She says, even the dogs eat of the crumbs off the table. And he's like, he's totally like taken aback. And he's like, ah, such faith I have not found in Israel. And she wasn't even a Jew. She was a Gentile. In closing, we read in verse 80, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his shewing unto Israel. This is hard for us to think about, but John, as much as Zacharias was a priest and probably taught John everything that he needed about the law and all those different things, John was coming to preach a different message. And it wasn't about the law. He learned about it, but the Bible says he was in the deserts. What did he do in the desert? What do you think he did in the desert? Come on. You know what God did? God told him and taught him what he was going to do. Same thing that he did with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul went into Arabia for three years. And what happened? God taught him everything that Paul would need to know to perform the earthly ministry that Paul needed to do and accomplish for God. Same thing I believe that he did with John the Baptist. He gave everything that John the Baptist would need to prepare the way for the Lord to come. He was in the deserts until it was showing. And then when he shows up, it is not something that anyone has ever heard. They've never heard what he's about to preach. Because they're always thinking, the law, the law, the law, the law, the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the offering, the offering. I've got one kid, I'll place my hand on, let that one go. Don't go after it to kill it. You know, that type of thing, that's what they did. And now John's going to show up on the scene and preach, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whoa, we've never heard this before. The Lamb of God's coming to take away the sin of the world. Well, what's going to happen with the sacrifices? They will cease. Because he's going to fulfill all of it. Huh. How many of them were like scratching their heads on that saying, What is he? This is a Looney Tune. He's nuts. He's crazy. Nobody's preached this before. We've never heard this before. Why is it? When we get to there, I have a message entitled Faces in the Crowd about the different individual groups of people that were there when John was preaching at the River Jordan. And he doesn't leave any class out. He gets them all in. The child grew. I'm thankful that John did get older, That, but not only did he get older and grew up and became strong, the Bible says, and he grew strong, waxed strong in spirit. He just didn't stay immature in his spirituality he waxed strong 
in spirit. His spirituality, he was empowered to get ready to preach what he was going to preach. He could not have been empowered by his own flesh to go and preach what he's going to preach. In the heart, the you know, when you start preaching something new, people are going to scratch their heads. Well, I've never heard that before. Well, that's this is what the Bible says, you know. And they're like totally taken aback that you would preach something that they've never heard before. Hey, are we not supposed to preach the whole counsel of God? There are things that I haven't preached here yet that you probably never even heard of before. And I have not preached before. And the Lord is slowly revealing things to me as I study the word of God. Like this is what you need to preach. This is what you need to preach. The people need to hear this. Okay, Lord. There's still things that I'm learning. There are still scriptures that I've studied, and I'm, I'm going, I'm baffled, because then I'm like, I've got to go back and study this again, because I don't understand it. Go back and restudy it. I still don't understand all of it, and that's okay. It's not meant for us to figure it all out today. We're not supposed to get through the book of Luke today. We just finished chapter one. Woohoo! <laughs> Chapter 2 is just as long. It's like 70-some verses, I think. 52 verses. So, I mean... Luke is not a short book when it comes down to verses. That's for sure. But each one progresses the life of Christ. And we watch as his disciples grow in him. We watch as he becomes more and more authoritative, if you would, in what he does. Even more, I mean, he had authority, but man, it just seemed to progress in the miracles that he performs and just leading up to the cross. Our spirituality needs to wax strong. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it, not simply because the pastor said. Why are you? A Baptist. Well, Pastor said this is why we're Baptist. No, 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 no. Why are you a Baptist? That would be the question. And that's where you're going to have to sit down and go, why am I a Baptist? And start reading the Bible, and you'll find out John was called a Baptist by his. You know, he was called John the Baptist, and why were we called that? We were called Baptists and Christians and everything else by others. Were we not? I mean, that's what it says. And they were called Christians first at Antioch, but they weren't called Christians by their peers. They were called Christians by the enemies because <laughs> they were Christ followers. They were of that way. You and I need to walk strong in spirit. This son of Zacharias will be the one to prepare the way that would change the course of history. It would. It would change the course of history. This was this was the most defining moment other than the crucifixion of Christ would be a very defining moment in history. It would be. There, you say, well, we've had world wars. They're not as defining as the crucifixion. <laughs> They're not as defining as the resurrection of Christ. They're just not. They can't compare. You can't compare them. Oh, well, what about this? Yes, we do have defining moments in America's history. But let me tell you something. The defining moment in the course of spiritual history is when Jesus Christ died and rose again for us. It's the defining moment of all history. 
Are you being the light that you should be? Is your spirit waxed strong? Are you as spiritually mature as you would like to be? And still say, I need some growth. I still need to grow. I still need to know more about the Lord. We can praise him because he is still preparing us for eternity. See, we're not done being prepared. So myself, I'm just like, am I really ready for it all? Because Paul said this, and I'll close with this. Paul said, I am torn between the two. To go to the Lord and be with him, but also to stay and be an encouragement to you. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the gist of what he was saying to them. And all of us are in the same boat. There's a part of us that wants to go. We're ready. Let's just get it over with. And then there's a part of us that are just like, there's too much still to do. There's lost loved ones that I know that are not saved. There are, I, I know I have family members that are going to hell. I need to tell them about Christ. I have sons and daughters. I have grandchildren I have that, that are lost and on their way to hell. And I still have more to do, God. But there's a part of me that wants to go. And that's the, that's the, that's the tear. The, the, it just... Give us some more years, Lord. We still want to see loved ones saved. We still want to see the next door neighbor saved. We want to still see our boss saved. We still want to see our coworkers saved. We still want to see this one and that one. But when the Lord says it's time, it'll be time. And there's nothing that we can do to stay it. So I know that we all pray, Lord Terry, for a little while longer. Let us keep doing the work that you've called us to do. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The Lord has spoken to your heart this morning.